How are we doing? Happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. What a great day to celebrate Father's Day. And uh, I'm glad you all are here. And uh, I almost feel like I have to introduce myself because um, even though I'm one of the founding pastors, you almost never will see me here on a Sunday morning. And I'm so glad to be here. It's, it's been it's kind of a little nostalgic throwback for me to be here on a Sunday morning because I'm the campus pastor at the Grand Haven campus. So typically I'm always there on Sunday mornings. I'll be here Saturday nights, but I haven't been here in a Sunday morning, I think for over a year. So I am I'm thrilled to be here. I hope you're okay seeing me here and not one of the other pastors. So um, uh, my name's Chris Moeller. I am the uh, campus pastor in Grand Haven and the discipleship pastor at this church. And it is a honor for me to be able to preach today. And uh, it is Father's Day weekend. And what's interesting, the last time I preached, it was Mother's Day weekend. And so I think I'm just the guy for the parents' weekends. And um, on Mother's Day weekend, I had the privilege of being able to honor my mom who was sitting in the congregation that day. And today, as we continue in our series, Tearing Down Strongholds, on Father's Day weekend, you know what the topic is today? Laziness. <laughs> I don't know if that was a coincidence or if that's just the way that the, you know, the, the schedule panned out. I, I have no idea. I don't know if it was planned, uh, but it gives me the distinct opportunity on Father's Day to brag about my dad and honor him uh, on this Father's Day weekend because there's many words to describe my dad, but laziness isn't even in the same galaxy. Um, my dad has always told me, Chris, work is good, hard work is better. This is a man who built two successful dental practices as a landlord to many small business tenants uh, in the Fruitport area. He's an elder at our church. He uh, runs our senior adult ministry. He teaches a year-round men's Bible study on Thursday mornings here at 6.30 in the morning. He's constantly meeting with people, discipling young medical professionals, donates hours of time a week to the Love in the Name of Christ Dental Clinic here in town. And that only covers his professional and charitable gears in his life. But his love and care for my mom and his marriage is an inspiration to me. Uh, he truly understands that his marriage to my mom is a direct testimony to this world of the relationship between Christ and the church, and he takes that very seriously as a priority in his life. And uh, growing up, it was always very clear that my dad's effort uh, that he put into his marriage was the real work in his life and the real uh, priority in his life. And growing up, he would come home from a long day at work, and uh, when he got home, you could tell just in his spirit, that's when the actual work started. He would come home, and he would hang out with us kids, and he would uh, you know, start working on dinner with mom, or he, would, he, was so, he was such a hard worker at the job place, but also in the house, and it showed so clearly. His love for his kids was immeasurable, and his love for his grandkids is even more immeasurable. And my kid, he's, he's known as Pop-Pop, and my kids and all of the kids adore Pop-Pop. My dad is one of the most generous, kind, wise, caring, knowledgeable people I know, and I better stop because it's starting to sound like I'm giving a eulogy. He's still very much alive. <laughs> all this to say, uh, one of the things that my parents, especially my dad, taught me growing up uh, was a warning about what we're talking about today. Uh, and by God's grace, I was blessed to learn and be taught the value of work and hard work and combat laziness in any area of my life. And my dad has always been to me an example of this and what it means to work hard as unto the Lord. And I've seen so clearly how God has blessed him in those efforts and how God has blessed his life and how hard he has worked and worked as unto the Lord. And I just know if that is an example that I follow, that I should expect those same blessings that I've 
I've seen God bless in his life, in my life. And we're gonna see today in this passage that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is giving us that same example, a similar example to follow when it comes to how to live and how to work hard and also the negative ramifications if you don't. Negative ramifications uh, if you decide to be what he calls idle or lazy. Uh, and I'm grateful for this example in my dad, who is a hard worker. However, many in the room might be like, finally, a weekend off. Like, man, this Tearing Down Stronghold series has been such a uh, convicting series. Anybody convicted by any of the strongholds we've covered so far in this series? And maybe you're sitting out there and you're like, this one's not for me. Finally, I, have one, I work 70 hours a week. I'm killing it at work. I am not a lazy person at all. And before you check out on me, please, please hear me when I say this. There are many workaholics, maybe even in this room, who are very lazy people. You can put in 70 hours a week killing it at work and be a lazy dad. You can be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, have all the status that you could ever dream of. You could be one of those life coaches or, or, or business coaches, leadership coaches who teach people how to get more work done with less time and be the most efficient working person possible. But you could be a miserably lazy disciple of Jesus Christ. See, because laziness has more to do with who you work for than what you're actually doing. Laziness has more to do with the purpose or the lack of purpose behind the work that you're doing. Laziness is a destructive beast in our hearts that if not put to check or killed will result in many unintended consequences because laziness breeds more laziness, which breeds hardship in our lives. And so I wanna to jump to the passage and where, what Paul gives us today. And so if you would turn in your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter three. 2 Thessalonians chapter three. We're gonna start at verse six. 2 Thessalonians is in kind of toward the end of your New Testament. And it's a uh, letter written by Paul to the church in Thessalonica going through a lot of hardship right now. In, in the context of this passage. And so he's writing this in verse six, chapter three. Now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them that they, he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. The big idea this morning is this. Laziness is harder than working. Laziness is harder on you than working is. And if I could put that in some different words, what you actually want is not actually what you want. 
What you actually want in being lazy and vegging out is not actually what you want. Quick word study here. The word here for idleness in the text is also translated as disorderly or undisciplined or disruptive or unruly. It's a word implying that the person in question here is knowingly skirting off what they know they ought to be doing for the sake of their own selfishness or their own comforts. And this is a person who's like, yeah, I know what I probably should do. I just don't feel like it. And we've all been there. We, we're there all the time, I think. I mean, maybe that's just telling of who I am. Like, I'm, I'm prone to laziness all the time. It's like, I know what I should do. I just, I don't feel like it. In this case, Paul is giving uh, a distinction about people who weren't willing to actually work and earn their wages. And the word is also often associated with soldiers falling out of the ranks and falling out of the uh, insubordination, if you will, deviating from the prescribed rule or order. And so either it's a word used to convict someone of disobedience to authority or given in this context, someone who is uh, not working for their wages specifically. And it's why we are referring to it as laziness in our context, laziness, idleness. And coming out of COVID, is it fair to say that we have a laziness issue around us? <laughs> Work schedules were revamped so much and for so long that that now has become the new expectation for people, 10 to three, that's amazing. Like before COVID, I used to have to work from eight to five. And as if that's going to be the new norm, sadly, a lot of people lost their jobs during the pandemic, and uh, that season was so long that their drive right now to find a job is significantly reduced. I could give you stats upon stats in our world right now and in our nation and its current condition on unemployment versus employment and how there's this weird thing right now that some people are actually getting paid more being unemployed than they were when they were employed. And I could spend time talking about how our nation and state by state is split on the idea of taking federal help for unemployment in their state and whether or not that's going to be helping people incentivize get back to work or not get back to work. But that's not the point. The catch here is the fact that laziness that Paul is concerned about in this passage is not in the context of the public level. Paul is not like, oh my goodness, look at what has happened under the Roman government's rule. Everyone is so late. He could care less about that. What is he concerned about? He's concerned about idleness and laziness where? In the church. In the church. He says, stay away from brothers who are walking in idleness. He says, we need to be concerned about this. And why should we be concerned about this? Because laziness is not the example that they left with the church. Laziness is also not the example of Christ. And if it's not following Christ's example, it, it means it's a tarnishment of our testimony. And if our ultimate purpose is to proclaim and spread the gospel of Jesus, glorifying God both in speech but also our actions, Paul is saying that laziness stands in direct opposition to that mission. And laziness breeds more laziness, breeds more laziness, breeds more hardship and more unintended consequences. You know what I mean when I say that? Um, a couple months ago, I had a check engine light turn on in my car. And uh, I already hear the laughter, okay. Um, this, this turned on, and so I was like, oh, well, I'm getting my oil changed anyway. I'm like, hey, can you just run the little computer thing that you do? Let me know what that light is for. And they came back, and I drive a diesel, and so uh, it's this deaf system thing for the exhaust, emissions, whatever, and there's a sensor on there. And I'm like, oh, sensors. I hate sensors in cars. And, um, and I was like, you know what? 
I'm kind of a car guy. I mean, I like to think I have more than a basic knowledge about cars at this point in the game. I drive manual, which is something that not a lot of people can do anymore. Um, I mean, the young people are like, what's manual, right? They don't even know what it is. And so I'm like, I'm kind of more than a basic, uh, knowledgeable person about things in cars. And so I'm like, well, my car seems to be running fine, so that must not be an important sensor. How do you think that went for me? (laughs) Not good, because... Inevitably, what happened is that sensor was giving bad information to the rest of the computer system of the car, which was giving bad information to the other systems in the car, which then started failing over the amount of time that it took before my car was dead on the side of the road and sputtering and misfiring like crazy. And I had to get it towed to a dealership, which is one of the most embarrassing things you can do as a car owner, especially as a car guy car owner. And uh, what should have been a couple hundred dollars was now over a thousand dollars, and that's after warranty kicked in. And do you know? Um, I don't. I don't find pride in saying this, but I stand here before you today, in light of that story, and say, I am an idiot. <laughs> Why? I had all the warnings. Why, do you know why car makers put that little light in your car? It's not to say, hey, your car's broke right now. It's saying, hey, your car's going to be broke in a minute or in an hour or in a couple months or whenever it is. It's, it's a warning. It's a warning. Even though the car seemed to be running fine, there's a sensor saying, hey, there's a problem coming. Fix it now. If you don't fix this, you'll be sorry. No, you're not a mechanic. That's what that light should just blurt. No, you're not the mechanic. Trust me, take me into the shop. Don't be stupid. This will cost you if you delay. And just maybe this morning, God is gonna use this passage as a check engine light into your heart and whatever area he's convicting you about laziness and idleness. Because the reality is, because of sin, we all are prone to laziness. We are all prone to idleness, disruliness, unruliness, uh, disobedience, So before you get offended that I would be preaching at you this morning, please know that God's word as it's expected to is speaking directly at me this morning as well. And Paul also gives us warnings about laziness and warnings to the lazy person, just like the check engine light. And I wanna give you four of them. So four warnings to the lazy person. Number one, right out of the text here, laziness is divisive, disruptive, and disobedient. The three dreadful D's of laziness, divisive, disruptive, and disobedient. Verse six, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Isn't it interesting that Paul would use the same verbiage that he would use if he were casting out a demon? We command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could he be giving reference to the fact that laziness at its core, at its root, is actually influenced by the enemy? The enemy wants nothing more than for us to be distracted from our mission. He wants nothing more than for us not to be obedient to God's word. He would want nothing more than for us to do something that would distance ourselves from other believers in the context of God's body in the church. And so by commanding in the name of Jesus Christ, he's essentially calling out the work of the enemy in the church and says, that has no place here. That has no place in the church, and why is that? Because the church is meant to be a place of unity in the work of the Lord, and yet laziness drives a wedge in that unity between believers, and how is it divisive? 
The passage says, well, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, walking out of the ranks, straying from the mission, disrupting the mission, and also being disobedient to the tradition and instruction received from Paul when he was there. And you know what the danger is in being around those people? Is that it might rub off on you. That's what Paul's saying. Don't, don't even go around them. That disorderliness might rub off on you. That unruliness and disobedience might rub off on you. And it's, it's like a virus, a contagious virus. He's like, keep away from it. And it reminds me of what Paul said, actually, in a, his first letter to the Corinthian church. And you, you'll be able to finish this. He said, bad company ruins what? Nobody? Wow. Good morals, yes, yeah. Bad company ruins good morals. You, we are more easily influenced than what we think. And Paul is saying, stay away from those who are lazy because they might rub off on you, leading to mission drift and leading to a tarnishment of our testimony. And I, before you start thinking, like, Paul's kind of being pretty mean here. I want you to hear his heart. Let's go to the end of this passage in verse 13. It says, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And isn't that the danger of being around people who are lazy, that we would be tempted in the same way, where it's like, well, man, why do I even work so hard? Like, look at that guy. He's just, like, doing nothing all day. He seems to be doing fine, and he seems to be alive and well. And, but the reality is the ramifications and the negative things and side effects of that laziness in that person's life, you don't see in that moment, uh, and it's definitely something you don't want to be a part of. But that's, like, we don't want to grow weary in working hard and doing good. It says in verse 14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him, again, stay away from them, that they what? They may be ashamed, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. That word ashamed means exactly what you think, to be put to shame. Laziness is shameful. To be left with oneself in their own folly, to see that their laziness has isolated them, disrupted their mission, and left them wanting. For whatever reason, that person decided to be lazy, and now it's leaving them alone, and they have ostracized themselves from the body of Christ in their own laziness, and they're needing a life vest. And that's where Paul's heart is revealed in verse 15. They're not the enemy, Paul is saying. The lazy person in the church isn't the enemy. They're just in trouble, and they need a life vest. They're on the sidelines. They need a pep talk. Paul says, warn him. Warn him as a brother. It's like, come on, man. This isn't what God has for you. This isn't the plan that God had for you. This isn't your purpose in life. Your purpose is greater than this. Being idle isn't gonna get you what you're looking for. It's going to lead you off mission. Come back into the ranks. Get off the sidelines. Because if you're not careful, that laziness will breed to more laziness, will breed to more laziness, will breed to more hardship in life. Laziness never produces in your life the things that you were hoping it would produce. It's divisive, it's disruptive, and it's disobedient, and it tarnishes our testimonies. If I could just speak to the fathers in the room and the husbands in the room, laziness disrupts your mission at home. Laziness disrupts your mission to your wives. And it's such a heartbreaking thing when you can see someone who works so hard in their job and providing for the family, and then they get home and they check out. Husbands, fathers, please don't be the guy that after a long day of work comes home and checks out. Your real work begins when you get home. Your real work and what God has called you to as a priority list of the things in your life starts when you get home. Your wife, your family, and then what's next? Your job. 
And yet somehow this becomes up here in so many cases. I've fallen victim of it. I'll come home and I'll just sit on my, he's like, you know what? It was a hard day at work. I deserve to sit here on the couch and look at my phone or, or watch TV or do something like that. And I'm skirting off what God has called me to do in that moment when my kids are tugging on me. It's like, dad, come out and play baseball. Dad, come out and do this with me. Or my wife is like, hey, come sit with me on the porch. And I'm, just, I'm tired. I'm tired. No, that's lazy. It's laziness. It has no place We can't ever forget that our work, dads, husbands, it starts when we get home, even after a long day of work. I remember my dad has always told me, he's like, Chris, go to bed tired. It's one of the best things you can do. You rest way better too. Number two, here's a second warning. Laziness makes us become a burden to others. Laziness makes us become a burden to others. Let's pick up here in verse seven. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. This is a hard one because I don't think uh, your average person, I don't think you or me wake up on any given day and and is just thinking to ourselves, you know what, today I wanna burden people. Today, I want to be a burden to other people. I don't think that's how we're wired. We naturally don't want to burden other people. I know my personality is such, if I find out that I've been a burden to someone, it's like, man, okay, I'm done. Like, I, w- I won't even be in their context anymore because I, would, I hate that feeling of being a burden to other people. But here's the problem with the weed of laziness in our lives. It blinds us to how we burden other people. It blinds us to the burden that we become to other people. And the reason why Paul is bringing this up is because he wanted to give an example of the true testimony that we uh, see in Jesus Christ who was marked by a life that is a blessing to others, not a burden to others. Paul's context here is in the sense of his traveling missionary journeys. And he's saying, when I was with you, I was giving you an example of what it looked like to serve the Lord. Serving the Lord should come with no expectation of a free handout, but rather serving the Lord means being a witness to the world around us that we are working hard to pay for the things that we need in this life. Serving the Lord on mission means that we are meant to be a blessing to others, not a burden to others. Being helpful to others, not a hindrance. Laziness, idleness, unruliness all stand in direct opposition to the testimony of serving the Lord because it's an affront to the example that Jesus himself gave to us when he said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus was giving us the example and Paul was following Jesus' example, giving us an example that working hard and serving others and earning what we are given is a blessing, not a burden. If I could just for a moment jab a soft spot that I've seen, some low-hanging fruit, if you will, often you see this principle backwards in people. For a lot of people, including some in our church, sadly, the idea of serving is the burden. And that's a shame. Serving is a privilege. Serving the Lord in the context of our church, working for Christ, if you will, is what we call it, it's an opportunity that if you choose not to take it, that's a loss for you. It's not a loss for the church. Listen, if you hear me wrongly right now, okay, so if you have the wrong ears on and you hear me wrongly, you think I'm trying to say, hey, we have voids in the church and we have voids in the ministry and children's ministry and whatnot, and we need you, we need, we don't need you. The church does not need you. We want you. 
We want you to experience the blessing that it is to serve the body of Christ. We, God wants you to experience the blessing that he lavishes out on his servants who serve him and serve the body of Christ. If you choose not to do it, it's a loss for you. It's not a loss for us. He'll just find someone else to do it. It's an immense blessing. And I tell you, some of my favorite phone calls midweek are calling people who maybe took that challenge a week ago or a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago when it was stepping out of their comfort zone and saying, you know what, yeah, I, I'll serve in Harvest Kids and talking with them and they'll, they'll tell me something like, man, why did I wait so long to do this? I didn't realize, I thought I was the one meeting the, the need, but really God was meeting the need in my heart to be able to do this not knowing what I didn't even know in that I was sacrificing such a blessing by not serving for so long. I love hearing stories like that. How amazing would it be if we were a church marked by service to the Lord? And I'm not just talking about only in the context of our ministry. I'm talking about taking what we talk about and equip you with week in and week out of making our hearts vertical. You know, the logo that you see on all the cars. This ver vertical uh, mindset that we are to do everything in act and in deed and in speech to glorify the Lord in our lives and taking that motivation and making it horizontal into our community serving those around us, making our testimony in Christ shine brighter in a dark world. And my prayer for our church in the context of serving in this ministry is that we get to a point where we have to add more teams because people understand the blessing it is to serve. Paul is saying, take it from me, who took it from Jesus to say serving is a blessing. It's not a burden. We become the burden if we let laziness rule our hearts and our motives. Here's a third warning. Laziness leads to discipline. Laziness leads to discipline. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Yikes. Um, if you wanna talk about a landmine as a preacher having to uh, preach these words to you, it's a hard command. And if you know anything about our church, one of our pillars is preaching the authority of God's word without apology. And so, here we go. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And please notice the difference between the term not willing and not able to work. What Paul is not saying is if someone doesn't have a job, you should let them starve. That's not what he's saying. Are there valid reasons right now, especially in our context, uh, that uh, people aren't able to work? Absolutely. Have we just gone through a huge disruption in our entire world with the pandemic that left a lot of people without a job? Yes, that's not what Paul is talking about here. What Paul is talking about are the people who aren't willing to work, people who are more than capable of doing the process of finding a job and getting a job and more than able to work but not willing to work. Uh, not the people who are jobless and looking. Those are, there's willingness there. Okay, not the people who are disabled or injured and uh, would work if they could. There's willingness there. And I also wanna mention something about those who are retired from the workforce. I don't think Paul's picking on you either. I, I look at the example of my parents, for example, and kind of the crew that they run with here in leading the senior adult ministry, all retired, but not out of work, if you know what I mean. And, uh, I, and I wanna, they didn't even know I was gonna do this, but, uh, and they're both in the room right now, and I love that they're in the room, but Herb and Kathy Madison, Dean and Diane Brennan are two examples of exactly what I'm talking about. All retired, but not out of work. 
They may not be getting paid to do the work that they're doing in caring for their families and caring for their kids and their grandkids and serving at a moment's notice. I've got Dean and Herb on my short list of the people that I call when there's a project at the church. And I'm, I'm telling you, they're there however long it takes to get from their home to the church. That's how long it takes for them to be there after I text them. And it's such a blessing to me and a blessing to our church to see that these guys have a mission to bless people and bless the Lord in the process, even if they're not getting paid to do it. You understand? what I'm saying. Paul isn't saying that if you don't have a job that pays you money, you shouldn't eat. What Paul is doing is he's setting up a principle, a natural created order from the Lord that says, if you willingly choose not to work and to be idle, the provision will run out. And in the realm of discipline now, that person has a choice. They either need to stop the laziness that they've given themselves into and start doing their part, or they're going to suffer for it. Paul is saying there's no reward for laziness. If you're not willing to work, you're gonna end up not eating. It's just the way that it works. It's a warning. It's a challenge. It's the check engine light saying, hey, lazy, lazy warning, lazy warning. Hurry up, find something, because if you don't, it's not gonna go well for you. Laziness and idleness, it's also synonymous here with unruliness, undisciplined and disobedient. It's a biblical principle that's built throughout all of the law books in the Old Testament. If you are obedient to God's word, you will be blessed, it says. If you are disobedient to God's word, if you do what is right in your own eyes, as we see all over in the Old Testament, then you will be cursed, is what it says. And at Harvest, we have something that we like to say, that obedience leads to blessing, and choose to sin, choose to suffer. All of Deuteronomy is about this. All of Leviticus is about this principle. And what Paul is doing is he's putting it in the context of the church now. If you wanna be lazy, guess what? You're probably not gonna eat. That's just the nature of the natural law that has been put in place. I don't wanna go into any more specifics necessarily about the type of person that Paul is mentioning here, but remember, he's talking about people in the church. And so if there's any bone in your body right now that has a little bit of a conviction to it about laziness, that uh, uh, this is an opportunity for you to bring that before the Lord in repentance. Your laziness in that area can stop here right now today. Saying, God, you revealed this in my life. You're convicting, of this, uh, convicting me of this thing right now. And I, I wanna bring this before to you. My lack of discipline here, I see the check engine light. I want it fixed. I don't care what it takes. Help me, I want to change. Here's a fourth warning. Laziness leads to unnecessary drama. Laziness leads to unnecessary drama. Look at verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. The term busy bodies here refers to meddlers, drama queens, people who are bored because they aren't working and sticking themselves into everyone else's business. How many of you like it when someone is all up in your business when they shouldn't be? Does anybody like that? I don't think anybody in the history of the world likes that uh, when someone is just all up in your business and they don't have, they, they're bored of what they're doing so they wanna be in what you're doing and beware of the people in your life who need to know all of the juicy details about the conflict of other people. Beware of the people in your life who invite themselves into your business or your conflict. Isn't it funny? What is the thing that we tell those people when they're bothering us? Don't you have something to do? Don't you have something better to do than be all up in my business right now? Like, don't you have a job? Don't you, don't you have some work to do somewhere? And I think it's uh, unnecessary drama is born out of the boredom that comes with laziness. And sadly, I think these people are most painfully obvious on social media. 
You know what I'm talking about? Like that controversial post or even semi-controversial post that they make controversial when they post their research paper of their own comment in the comment section. It's like, don't you, don't you look at those and you're like, don't these people have a job? Is, don't they, isn't there something that they are supposed to be doing? Isn't there something better to do that, than posting their research paper as a comment in this controversial subject, just stirring the pot of drama online? I think one of the side effects of laziness in our lives is that we tend to be drawn to drama because we just get bored of doing nothing. And so if we get bored of doing nothing, what's the next lazy thing that we can do? Let's, get, let's try to make someone else's life miserable. I don't know. I don't think we intend to do that, but that's what happens. And Paul is concerned because it's happening in the church. He says, for we hear that some of you, it's like he's saying, please tell me this isn't true. He's like, guys, please tell me I heard this wrong. Please tell me that whoever it was that came back from your church and given me a report said it wrong. What a waste of time and testimony if this is happening in the church. This is not how we ought to display Christ in our lives. This is not the example that we left you. And this is where Paul then gives us a shift here to help us tear down this stronghold of laziness in our lives. He says, to remember the way that you were taught. Remember the statutes and the traditions that we left with you. He's pointing to the fact that we have a greater mission and need to root out the things that go against that mission, including idleness. And in the conversation about laziness, he now contrasts it with a challenge to work and to work hard. Verse 12, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ, do their work quietly and earn their own living. And so if laziness tarnishes our testimony of Christ, here's three things to remember about hard work that we find in scripture that I think is helpful here as we close out this message. Number one, how you work matters. How you work matters. Matters. Have you ever thought, man, if only Adam and Eve just didn't bite that stupid fruit, I wouldn't have to go to this job all day and deal with the people I have to deal with. I know I felt that, and it's theologically wrong. Would it surprise you to know that work and the command to work came before sin? It's a good thing. Work is a good thing. And I think many people look at that wrongly and, and look at the curse of sin when it says in Genesis 3 that man's work and his toil would now be laborious and exhausting because of the effects of sin in a broken world. And the reality is work was given to man as a command by God in Genesis 2 to work and to keep the creation and to be over the creation, work and keep it. That was before sin ever entered the world, which completely changes the view of work being a bad thing to work being a real good thing that God intended for us for our satisfaction and joy of accomplishment. The problem is when sin did enter the world, the result is that work became laborious and exhausting because of sin's effects. Weeds, thorns, thistles, bugs that would destroy crops, uh, gypsy moths. Anybody dealing with that right now? Oh, that's, they're the worst, right? It's the effects of sin in a broken world. It makes work laborious and difficult, but work in and of itself is a command given by God before the fall, and because of that, we know that if we obey the command, one of the earliest commands in scripture, that God would bless that obedience, and we know he does greatly. Uh, Paul, even just the letter before this one in 1 Thessalonians, speaks about the same thing and why we want to obey this command and work hard, uh, and he says it's because of outsiders. Check it with me in 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm gonna have it on the screen. Verse 11 and 12, it says, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind 
mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Uh, How you work matters because what he's saying is if someone from the outside is looking in, would they have any reason to be like, yeah, I don't want any part of that. Those are lazy people. Why would I want to have any, like, they're lazy. I don't, I don't. He's saying your work in the way that how you work and who you work for is a strong testimony to outsiders. And also notice how he says it. He says, working hard, minding your own business, living a quiet life actually speaks louder to outsiders. Notice how he said it. He's like, shut up, be quiet, do your work hard, just like we told you. And he's like, that's a stronger testimony to outsiders who are looking in who may even look at your life and be like, wow, something is going right with them. They're such a hard worker. And like, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I need it. They seem like they have joy. They have satisfaction in life. They have uh, an understanding of what uh, is accomplished in their life. They seem to be doing well. How do I get that? And so we work really hard because, and we know that it matters because it honors one of the first commands that God gave us. And when we work hard, uh, we are honoring the Lord. And who knows, just maybe your work ethic in this life may draw someone else uh, who doesn't know the Lord to him. Wouldn't that be an amazing blessing? If someone was like, you know what, I didn't want anything to do with Christianity, but then I saw how great of a worker you are and how you treat the other employees at the job or how you uh, manage with our boss who is a disaster or whatever. Like, and I just was like, well, I don't know why that he is the way that he is, but I want to, and it drew me to the Lord. Thank you for your example. That's what he's saying here. It's a testimony to outsiders of what God has called us to be on the inside. Here's another thing. Uh, if you, one of the cool things about working hard is God has a desire to bless you for it. And here's the second thing. Enjoying what you earned is a gift from God. Um, this, at the beginning of this summer, my daughter Annie um, approached my wife and I, and she really, really, really wanted these Bluetooth headphone things that she saw. And she has a cousin right now who likes to listen to audiobooks, and she's like, I would love to listen to audiobooks, and I, but I need a set of Bluetooth headphones. We have normal headphones, but for whatever reason, she needs the Bluetooth ones. She really wants them. And um, she corrected me this morning because she was in the service last night because um, she said that this was my wife's idea. I thought it was Annie's idea, which makes the story way better, but you'll, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but she corrected me. She's like, you know, that was mom's idea. I'm like, oh, Annie, I wish you wouldn't have told me that because um, now it, uh, it makes it, anyway. All that to say, I thought when Annie approached us, she's like, so if I read two chapter books by the end of summer, if I practice all of my musical instruments uh, and uh, get a certain number of hours, like she came up with all of these specific uh, goals, and she did do that under my wife's direction. I just didn't know that my wife asked her to do that. Um, She's like, then do you think I could uh, get those Bluetooth headset? Could you buy me that Bluetooth earphones? And I'm telling you what, I can't wait to spend the money on those Bluetooth headphones for my daughter. Do you know why? Because the process of her working through and learning the value of hard work and earning what she's given is worth way more than what those headphones are. Don't tell her I said that part, okay? It's worth so much for me to be able to instruct my child in what does it mean to work hard and earn what you are given. And before you go there in your head, this is not karma. I'm not talking about karma. This is the outpouring of a good God who loves you like a father and wants to bless you like a father who's blessing their child with a gift for hard work. 
If you need more scriptural uh, proof for this, Ecclesiastes is a great book to go to. Uh, I'm gonna have some passages on the screen. Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Ecclesiastes 3.13 says also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Ecclesiastes 3.22, so I saw that there's nothing better than the man should rejoice in his work for this is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Working hard is a gift. The harder we work, the harder we toil, the greater the enjoyment of that work is and this is God's gift to us. It's the blessing and the satisfaction that we have in our work. And I tell you what, one of the greatest gifts that God gives us as a blessing of hard work in our lives is the sense of accomplishment. Do you know what I'm talking about? You get to the end of a long day's work and you sit down. One of my favorite things is sitting down on the porch swing with my wife that we have out front and we're sitting there and we just, we're like, man, we got a lot done today. I love that. It's the sense of accomplishment, which then leads to what? Rest. Rest. And that's ultimately the goal. We want rest with the Lord. And do you know what I mean when I say rest? I'm talking about Sabbath. It's a built-in command from the beginning of time that we even saw Christ's example of in resting in worship of the Lord, resting in the goodness and the faithfulness of God on a weekly basis. And by the way, resting is way different than laziness. Sabbath is completely opposite of what laziness is. What Sabbath is, is Sabbath is a God-ordained time to rest in the goodness of God, in uh, the character of God, in the love of God, as we worship the Lord and search his word. That's Sabbath. Laziness, on the other hand, is the habitual disregard to do what you have been called to do. And so we long for Sabbath, but we need to root out laziness. And why do we do that? Because at the end of the day, if God is the one who ultimately blesses us for our hard work, is the one who rewards us for our hard work, here's the third point. Doesn't that mean our earthly boss isn't actually our boss then? Your boss is not actually your boss. And I want to go to Colossians here real quick in chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, also on the screen. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Many people in the church have this sour view of work because they're under a boss that just isn't good. Are you there? You know, my boss is just not a just person. My boss is unfair. My boss doesn't know how much that I do and how much that I deserve. I am so severely underpaid for what I do and my boss just doesn't even care about me. It's hard and I get that it's hard to work under a hard boss, but the perspective change that needs to happen in our lives needs to happen in order for us to understand and experience actual joy even in the midst of a hard circumstance. God is your boss and your bad boss now is a mission field. You understand the perspective shift. God is actually your boss. God knows what you're going through and we need to choose to obey God's word in honoring those who he's put in charge of us, including our earthly bosses, trusting and knowing that God is ultimately the one that's gonna bless our obedience, even if that boss never does. And when you look at the greatness of God, the faithfulness of God, the grace of God that he lavishes out on us, isn't he a way better boss to work for? 
Think of what he's done for us. That alone should change everything and our entire motivation for why we do what we do at any given moment in our lives. Because if we are supposed to do everything as unto the Lord, logic would say that he needs to be worthy of that work. And isn't he worthy? Isn't God worthy of our greatest work and our greatest effort in every area of our lives? He is, and do you know why he's worthy? Because he did the greatest work that we could not accomplish on our own in making a way possible for us to have salvation and a relationship with him. He put his son on the cross as a sacrifice to build that bridge for us to be able to have a relationship with him. Could you imagine how hard that would have been? Fathers in the room, could you imagine how hard it would be to sacrifice your only son for the sake of sinners. Because if he was willing to go through the hardest work possible for us to be able to be saved, when he didn't have to, shouldn't we honor him and glorify him by doing everything, including our jobs with excellence and hard work? We work as unto the Lord, he is a boss, faithful and true and just. He's a boss that is worthy of our hardest work and a boss that loves us more than we could ever imagine. And I leave you with a question. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with the greatest boss we could ever work for? Because if you do not know him, you cannot work for him. And if you do not work for him, you cannot experience the blessing that comes with the obedience that brings uh, us the blessing that God lavishes out on us in his grace and his faithfulness. If you do not know him, I appeal to you today to know him, to meet him, to believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is your savior who died on a cross for you in your place because of your sin, dying the death that you deserved and then rising victoriously, giving you victory over your sin and offering you forgiveness and life. And you know what else he offers you? Satisfaction in your work. Jesus worked hard to be able to save you. And if you want the satisfaction and the accomplishment, that feeling of accomplishment in what you're doing uh, day in and day out, it comes with who you work for. It comes with rooting out laziness in our lives using Christ as the example, as our savior, but also our boss. It starts with bowing the knee and surrender to him in faith, repenting of the sin in our life and trusting in him. Without Christ, we are hopeless. Without Christ, our work is in vain, but with Christ, knowing him as savior and Lord, as our boss, our entire lives have new purpose. And we experience joy unexpressible. And we get the accomplishment of our work because our motivation is for his glory, for what he's done for us and who he is. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask, Lord, that you would be present here this morning, convicting us of any ounce of laziness in our lives, that we can recognize the, the, the dark spots in our heart, Lord, that uh, keeps us from being on mission to you that detracts us from glorifying you in our lives. And God, I just pray for the help that is needed for us to repent of those areas in our lives. 
to repent of the laziness that we've displayed in our homes or to our families or to our wives, to repent of the laziness that we have displayed to outsiders in the workplace or at our schools or in our extended families. God, may we live on mission for you, working heartily, knowing that we work for you before we work for anyone else. And God, we thank you for blessing us with that hard work. We thank you for being a faithful God who did the hardest work possible for us to have a relationship with you. Through Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray, amen.